Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And today, well, we're going to celebrate, I would say, summer. Although some of us have actually trekked out into the snow to grill the Christmas goose. Um, it usually is a seasonal yeah. thing. And don't, and don't, don't, t- don't turn off the program till, till the last track because we've, we've got the definitive guy. It is. It's a, a, a huge a, book. The definitive gorilla guy who works for Weber, the ultimate gorilla. <laughs> That's Peter's pet name for the gorilla. Yeah, it's what my, we used to call one of my sons, we, we, we always used to call it the gorilla. The gorilla. Anyhow, we're starting out um, with a wonderful personality, Isaac Toops. Um, and his book's called Chasing the Gator, and he's authentic. Uh, he's he's what I'd say Orleans, New Orleans is all about. So let's listen to Isaac Toops. Isaac Toops, you are, without a doubt, through and through, pure Cajun, and a wonderful, exciting Person, chef, and restaurateur. Now that's a good introduction, isn't it? We got all that. That's the nicest compliment I've heard all day. (laughs) We we got that just from reading the first five pages of your book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So why the title? Let's start with that. Chasing the Gator. I mean, you you've eaten a few and cooked a few, but that's it. Really, is a metaphor, isn't it? Yeah, it's more of an allegory metaphor. You know, I am the gator, and I'm always chasing flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, I live to eat, and so does my family, and I'm always looking for something that tastes new and different. I don't like eating the same thing twice. It's what kind of drives my soul. I'd be doing this even if I didn't cook professionally. Fortunately, I do cook professionally. So anytime I run into those flavors, I want to duplicate them or use them myself. So I'm, I'm always chasing that next bite. Yeah. I'll also bite your head off if you screw with me. <laughs> okay. Who was, I, who was that guy? We we drove out down the plantation road to, to do an interview and have lunch, and we and we had alligator sausage. Oh, um, what's his name? Um, Not, what wasn't John False? Yeah, it was. Was it John? Yeah, John False. Sounds about right. Yeah, that's it. I haven't seen him in years. He's still actually, actually. I haven't seen him in years. Come to think of it. He, st- yeah. he does have that restroom with Rick Tremonto. Well, Rick's yeah, back Revolu- in Chicago. Re- Revolution. Yeah, Revolution, but Rick's back in, in um, Chicago. Is he okay? Yeah, we don't see Rick much down here. Uh, I know, uh, this, uh, me and the general manager of Revolution are good friends. Oh, okay. And he's and still going? Going well, we hope, huh? Yeah. Well, now, you create an excitement with this book and, and a, a real deep impression of... of I'd say a, a major culture that flourishes in Louisiana. I didn't even know there are two kinds of Cajuns. Let's start with, okay, how do you define Cajun? Uh, Cajun country is actually a, um, a small area in south Louisiana. So just because you're from Louisiana doesn't mean you're Cajun. So from about, I'd say, like almost, um, you know, if you don't not familiar with the map, central, uh, uh, central Cajun country, probably about Lafayette area, and then, you know, about 100 miles square, 
not very square, but it almost forms a T from like Opelousas and Oakdale down from Lake Charles to about uh, to about Baton Rouge coming into New Orleans. So uh, Cajun country is a small little little knit community that uh, is still very alive with its with its original culture. We really all hung on to our beliefs and mannerisms and our food and our, and our way of lifestyle. It's just kind of a slower way of living. And it's a lot more utilization of the land. So, you know, cases <laughs> are very proud of what they do. And uh, we're proud of, we're just a proud culture. Yeah. Now, how did you manage to you, – you, you stay your own identity. You have it intact. But yet you absorb all these influences that have come into uh, New Orleans, everything from uh, Sicilian to um, uh, uh, what am I thinking of? Um, Southeast Asian. Yeah. Yeah. Caribbean. Uh, yeah, how did you do that? How did you manage to do that? Uh, well, it, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have to think about it. It's just. It's. That, that, it's actually a very cagey thing to do. Is is to take on other people's cultures and go, hey, that's a good idea. Why don't we do that? <laughs> and so I've just been doing that my entire life. I didn't actually try. It's just kind of a natural. I like to go out and eat everywhere. So catching those influences, like, oh man, these Vietnamese guys using these. Uh, these different kinds of jalapenos. Let me try that. Oh, look, this, uh, this Creole chef is frying his chicken this way. Let me try that. So it's that curiosity and always chasing that bite again that it just kind of fuels me to, to learn these things for fun. I mean, I'm, I'm truly learning other people's cultures for, for the hell of it because I like to. Now, let, let, let's, let's add something to that, 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 I, that I read and that, that you can get even if you didn't write it in the book, which is that there, there has to be pig in it, even if, even if it's dessert. <laughs> no, that's not so much. That's not so much. That's, most, that's a kind of a cliche thing um, uh, for Cajuns to uh, to deal with. We uh, we think uh, everybody thinks that we are uh, we just put red pepper and pork on everything. While we do like our red pepper and our pork and our garlic, the, all that does not Cajun food make. So uh, yes, I did. I, I have note. I, I do put. Uh, uh, a pork sauce on dessert every once in a while. I, I am yeah, no, that that, that one I wasn't sure about. I, I wasn't sure about having the pork sauce on dessert, but I'm not a big dessert person anyhow. So um, there's actually some truth. There's some truth in that, but I kind of you kind of got to back down the uh, the old a lot of the cliches. People think we just blacken everything and and put pork and everything and call it cage. I mean that's uh, far from the truth. Uh huh. Well, uh, there are certain things that that you. Do indeed like that you can say is Cajun. You like um, spice. You like uh, sauces. You like um, broths, real stocks, right? You like. Oh, right. that, that, that's very much Cajun. That's very much of the classical, classical French uh-huh. um, uh, techniques that we uh, we brought down uh, from France and, and Europe and, and the Italians and whatnot. So those classical things just kind of stuck with us because that's the way we like it. So we like using our ruse. And making our stocks, and then at the same time, we utilize what's around us: figs, crawfish, corn, rice, sugarcane, and, and those things. Yeah, but you have to learn how to make a roux. And and I, mean, I remember when I was doing some uh, recipe things uh, for publication um, that so many people. It was very hard to explain. If you've never made a roux, people don't understand. What, I mean, all the the. Um, the uh, other, like Cajun or New Orleans cookbook, they say start, start, make a roux. That's the first line. <laughs> but if nobody knows what that is, but you go into detail. I didn't know there were that many kinds of roux. 
Yeah, and yeah, I, I, what I try to do is demystify Rue. People think it's this complicated, weird thing that you got to be a pro how to make. And I've actually done, obviously, a cookbook, but I've also got YouTube videos on how to make gumbo, completely demystifying the, uh, the, the dark magic of Rue. When really it's just a little, it's, it's a really nice technique. It's nothing crazy and it's nothing wild. It's definitely nothing any home cook couldn't do. Uh-huh. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, it, I, I use a roof for all kinds of things. Um, some of these situations that are part of the culture, uh, can you explain to our listeners, like uh, the boucherie? Yeah, so the boucherie, it, it, it kind of it, it kind of went away with the, uh, with the production of, uh, you know, modern-day butchery. But we brought it back. So originally, uh, back in the day, uh, right around uh, uh, harvest season, right around fall, everybody would bring their pigs, and you'd have this big, um, it's not only was a celebration, it was an actual uh, something everybody broke off and did a part of the pig. So some people would kill the pig, some people would skin the pig, some people would render crackling, some people would make sausage. Drain the blood, yeah, and make sausage, yeah. Right, and some people would make hams. So everybody had, uh, everybody broke off into groups and would do their thing, and everybody would leave their parts of the pig. So it was a communal get-together, but it was out of necessity. It's a lot easier for everybody to help out instead of everybody doing every little piece of their own pig. But that's sort of so universal, was, you know. I mean, they do it in Budapest. They do it in... Um, uh, the most interesting one was in Spain. Spain, they do it in, in southern Italy. In, in Spain, of course, yeah. In, in, in the, any old culture with any type of animal is going to have... Very similar to these going goings on. It's just in modern day America, you just don't see you don't see them a whole lot anymore. We just kind of brought them back as more. It's, they're, they're a little more boutique operation now. We, we do one pig, one or two pigs. We do some goats and whatnot. But uh, you know, it's it's more to remember. You know, get to remember your past and remember your culture and, and have a celebration about it. So we don't do them out of necessity now. We do them for fun now, and but uh, because we like that. You know, we take out the tomahawks or play some music play some convoluted games, tell some lies, drink some beer. Yeah, I love the description I read somewhere um, of, of somebody's experience at a crawfish boil. It's, it made me want to be there. Oh, yeah, they're fun times. It's actually, um, people ask me, what's my favorite thing to cook? I get that question all the time, and it's actually crawfish, because you can you, you boil crawfish, and it's a 30-pound sack, so you have to have people over. You can do it with a beer, you can do it in your shorts. There'll be music playing, kids running around. Yeah, the kids. Uh, yeah. I taught our 10-year-old at the time how to suck the heads. <laughs> I didn't think he'd do it, but he did. That, 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 that's, a, that's a part of growing up in Cajun country. <laughs> well, he's, well, well, he's not in Cajun country. <laughs> no. But anyhow, what are some of these other – you've divided your book into um, sections. There's – Tell us what they mean. I'll tell you what you're heading up, and you can describe it to our listeners. The community table. Yeah, the community table. So that's kind of we're always having the big get-togethers, and whether it's Christmas or a family reunion or Thanksgiving or, or football season or whatever, we always have these large spreads of food that everybody comes over and brings a different dish. And um, Cajun food will always be very communal. So you always have these big, large tables of food and sweets, and stews, and, uh, and and dishes, and it's just this big cacophony, and it's just, just fantastic. And it's kind of hard to explain to other people who don't have, you know, the kind these, of thing. These, these family cultures and whatnot. And the other chapter is the fish camp. Yeah, the know, fish camp is, uh, we, we interviewed, the, who's the guy from the, the Hot and Hot Fish Club? 
and that we learned about the fish camp from uh, uh, him. No, he's in he's in Birmingham. Eh? Birmingham, you know what I mean? I can't remember his name. Shepherd Western Tour. I can't remember. His he, name. he wasn't he wasn't Cajun, so. Okay. So Isaac, Isaac won't know him. He's, Isaac, he's, we got he's from, fish Alabama. Camp. he's from Alabama. What about the hunt camp? What goes on there? Well, <laughs> you don't the, the, know. Yeah. The hunting camps are, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of the place where, you know, you grow up during hunting season. Uh, you know, uh, it was a great adventure. We would just like, be let out in the woods with guns and, you know, we should shoot deer, shoot rabbits, shoot squirrel, ducks. <laughs> and, uh, we just had, you know, be all, we come back and, you know, it was easy to steal a beer and, We'd be eating fresh, fresh kill, and uh, look out at the stars, and probably go fishing in the morning, hunting in the afternoon, walking through the woods uh, in in all of Mother Nature's glory. Uh, it's just uh, an unparalleled experience, you know. And you tell stories by the fire, and play poker at night, and you cut up, and you, you wear off your hangover while walking down the woods cold in the morning. Uh, unbridled experience. Sounds fabulous. No. How do you manage to fit in running restaurants into this into this lifestyle? Uh, I don't get to hunt that much anymore. This is a lot of these stories, like me growing up and whatnot. But as soon as you turn restaurant tour, like I, I I get to hunt a couple times a year, I get to fish a couple times a year. So yeah, doing it all the time that doesn't exist anymore. You know, especially with children and restaurants and television and books. But, uh, you got to you got to fit it in like a little vacation. Well, well, listen, Isaac, our listeners have their pencils out. So, so what are the names of your restaurants, and are they in New Orleans? Oh, uh, yeah, they're both in New Orleans, and one is Toops Meatery, uh, as in Meat Eatery, and the other is Toops South. The Meatery is in, a mid, uh, oh, sorry, yeah, Meatery is in Mid-City, and Toops South is in Central City. All you got to remember is Toops, T-O-U-P-S. I'm the only Toops cooking down here. <laughs> is that a standard, uh, it sounds French, right? Uh, it's actually uh, Swiss. Really? Well, that's yeah, right. we were, the we French were the, part we, of we Switzerland. The, yeah, uh, the French part comes from my mother's side. So, um, yeah, now your mother uh, was from um, the. Wait, now let me get it straight. Your father was from the the um, um, the shore part, and and yeah, on the, the water, yeah, the, the coastal. Yeah, well, my, my father's a coastal Cajun, uh, coastal Cajun, and my mother's a prairie Cajun. Okay, honestly, I didn't know there were two days. I mean, a lot of people things. don't. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of personal recipes here that you, apparently, you, you absorb the traditions, but you developed your own uh, expressions, such as your mayonnaise, which sounds like mayonnaise I never heard of before. I love it. Yeah, I think it's know, mayonnaise. Exactly. You, you take, uh, you know, your, the, the lessons of your past, and then, you know, you get trained classically under Emma Lagasse for 10 years. And you learn, you know, slightly more professional techniques and ingredients. And it's still, honestly, a very cagey thing to do to take your mother or your father's recipes or whoever's and then change them into your own. So that's kind of a natural progression as a professional chef and as a uh, true blood Cajun. You just always got to screw with the recipe. Yeah, but you, you have one where you add espresso. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, espresso mayonnaise, delicious. Yeah. Um, you have all these little boxes of, of well, you have like Cajun games, which are interesting. Um, you have a section. I mean, you have a little box on on your wooden spoons. Uh, yeah, I mean, you get a real sense of of your culture this way. Uh, that's what we wanted the book to be. We never, never wanted it to just be a list of recipes. That, that sounded boring. 
there's plenty of books out there like that. I wanted to tell a story. I wanted, uh, you know, you asked me, like, man, how'd you get here? You know, from Cajun country to to New Orleans, and you got these restaurants. How'd that come about? And the book kind of does a good job of kind of spelling that out. Tell me what the secret is to a perfect gumbo. Um, there's no one secret. There's about 10,000, but uh, good stock would be a good place to start. Proper color of your roux. And a good quality ingredients and a lot of goddamn garlic. Oh, yeah. See, I love your garlic thing. You even suggest that you should explore the previously uh, peeled garlic, especially because some of your things call for 100 cloves of, of garlic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I, I, buy, I buy garlic literally in, 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 by, by, by in four-gallon increments at my restaurants. And we'll go through probably four gallons a week. Wow. Um, I, I also I think this burger is the best-looking burger I've ever seen. What's the secret it's of that? One, it's one of the best out there. I'll, I'll, I'll toot my own horn on that. That's one of the few dishes I actually got right the first time. That almost never happens. Oh, well, it looks absolutely gorgeous. Well, don't, don't forget the pork chop. Where's the pork chop? Pork, pork, pork chop is, is, is as thick as an oak tree. Yeah. What about your pork chop? Oh, yeah, they're almost as big as my head, and i got a big goddamn head. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, uh, the portrait, that, that's, one of the, that's the, one of the signature dishes at the meadery. It's probably it's the number one seller. Uh, it's brined in brown sugar for 48 hours, and uh, they're, gr- they're grilled to medium, not mid-well or well done. Uh, that's one of the big secrets. You brine them well, you get good quality pigs from South Louisiana, and don't overcook it for the love of God. Season hard with salt and, uh, salt and black pepper. And then we grill that and roast that in butter, and that goes uh, underneath. I'm sorry, that goes over a bed of uh, my signature dirty rice with some uh, now, now here, cane syrup gastric on top. It's freaking dynamite. Here, here's a memory for you. We were sitting in Emeril Lagasse's kitchen the first time he ever had a chef's table in the kitchen. Well, that was after Commander's Palace. That's when he had no, well, Yeah, well. So, so anyway, dinner, dinner's going fine. They were all playing games, hiding the guy's chicken, <laughs> from which he was supposed to make chicken stock. And then, it, and then it was time for the main course. And for some, for some reason, Emerald turned over our pork chop to a rookie, and we got overcooked pork. And I thought, no, 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 that can't be true. But, but it was. It wasn't you. It was a female. <laughs> <laughs> Better not have been me. <laughs> I'm sure it wouldn't have been. See. No, no. The photographs here are just so enticing. Um, I I want right this minute, Isaac. Absolutely, right this minute, your lacquered collards. Yeah, the, the, those are uh, those are my favorite because a lot what a lot of people do uh, wrong or wrong in my opinion, I should say. Hold on, um, is that they don't bring all their liquid all the way down and really concentrate it. So you've got these collard greens just sitting in this soupy water and they're not very concentrated flavor where I bring all that liquid and all the sugar and all the fat and, uh, and the heat down to, to where all that liquid is just stuck to them and they get sticky and they're uh, they're delicious, they're spicy, they're sweet, they're very savory, use a lot of good uh, smoked pork products in there. So they're really just a good savory collard green. Well, now, now there's, a, there's a piece of equipment that people are going to rush out and start buying on Amazon, so you so you better invent one and stuck them up with it. It's called a Cajun microwave. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, that's actually borrowed culture. It kind of goes back to the Cajuns. You know, um, 
it's a, I think it's, I think it's, it's a Chinese uh, um, in, invention called like a, a kaya box or a, a china box. It's called, and um, it's a way of being able to cook large pieces of meat outside without having a normally. Normally, you would dig a big hole and have a big spit and turn it, and that's a an all day affair. It's a pain in the ass. This is something that's on wheels. It's a box. They're made out of wood and they're lined with metal sometimes. Um, mine's just lined with aluminum foil, and you can you put coals on top, and it's basically a Outdoor, easily maneuvering uh, uh, Cajun microwave, a big uh, convection oven. You can just wheel around. It's great. Put it in the back of the truck, roast a pig, roll it right back up in the truck. And, uh, and you have a recipe here for crab fat rice. If you're ever in Chicago, go to Fat Rice. It's really a good restaurant. You know I'm that? I'm there uh, next month for the awards. Oh, will you be there? Oh, I'm okay. Short list for the, I'm shortlist for the Beard Awards. Yeah, congratulations. I guess, I guess that just came for another year, right? I'm sorry? It's another another year. Yeah, another year. Six, six years running now. Really? <laughs> well, well, we, have our finger, we have our fingers crossed for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll take all the luck I can get. It's, just a, it's an honor to just be nominated, but who doesn't want to win, right? Absolutely. Well, this is true. Absolutely. Everybody always says it's just wonderful being nominated, but I think it's winning this man. Yeah, our old friend Floyd Cardoz yeah, yeah. from from New York City. He's, he he was up for the sixth time as a finalist, and uh, I asked him what he was going to do if he didn't win this time. He said, "I'm going to take them all down." <laughs> well, look for us there in the um, press room. Will do. Oh, good, and say hello, and bring some of those collars with you. I'll have some in my pocket. <laughs> and, truly, and truly, the very best, best of good luck. We hope you bring home a winner. Okay, Thank you so much. again, Isaac Toops and the new Cajun cooking. The book is called Chasing the Gator, and you can find out just about anything you want to know about Cajun culture and country and food in this book. Thank you. Ciao, Isaac. Thank you so much. Have a good one, guys. And follow me on you. Instagram at Toops Metery and Toops South. Love you guys. Exactly. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Okay, hold on a minute. Don't go away, folks, because we'll be right back, and I'll tell you what's coming up next. Okay, sweetheart, what is coming up next? Well, um, we're going to be talking uh, to Will Horowitz, and let me tell you, you talk about having cooking in your blood. It comes from both sides of his family. (laughs) Well, he can tell you all about that. His book is called Salt, Smoke, and Time, and uh, it's a real inspiration and aspirational, too. Isaac Toops, you are, without a doubt, through and through, pure Cajun, and a wonderful, exciting person, chef, and restaurateur. Now, that's a good introduction, isn't it? We got all that's that. That's the nicest compliment I've heard all day. <laughs> and we, we got that just from reading the first five pages of your book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, the, the, why the title? Let's start with that, Chasing the Gator. I mean, you, you you've eaten a few and cooked a few, but you, that's it really is a metaphor, isn't it? Yeah, it's more of an allegory metaphor. You know, I am the gator and I'm always chasing flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, I live to eat and so does my family, and I'm always looking for something that tastes new and different. I don't like eating the same thing twice. 
it's what kind of drives my soul. I'd be doing this even if I didn't cook professionally. Fortunately, I do cook professionally. So anytime I run into those flavors, I want to duplicate them or use them myself. So I'm, I'm always chasing that next bite. Yeah. I'll also bite your head off if you screw with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who was, who was that guy we, we drove out down the plantation road to, to do an interview and have lunch? And we, and we had alligator sausage. Oh, um, what's his name? Um, Not, what, wasn't John False? Yeah, it was. Was it John? Yeah, John False. Sounds about right. Yeah, that's it. I haven't seen him in years. Is he still actually, doing Actually, I haven't seen him in years, come to think of it. He's still, yeah. he, he does have that restaurant with Rick Tremonto. Well, Rick's yeah, back Revolu- in Chicago. Revolution. Yeah, Revolution, but Rick's back in, in um, Chicago. Rick. Okay? Yeah, we don't see Rick much down here. Uh, I know uh, this, uh, me and the general manager of Revolution are good friends. Oh, okay. Thanks, going. Still going. Going well, we hope. Huh? Yeah. Well, now you create an excitement with this book, and and a, a real deep impression of of I'd say a, a major culture that flourishes in Louisiana. I didn't even know there are two kinds of Cajuns. Uh, let's start with, okay, how do you define Cajun? Uh, Cajun country is actually a, um, a small area in South Louisiana. So just because you're from Louisiana doesn't mean you're Cajun. So from about, I'd say, like almost, um, you know, if you don't not familiar with the map, Central uh, uh, Central Cajun country probably about Lafayette area and then, you know, about 100 miles square, not very square, but almost for the T, from like Opelousas and Oakdale down from Lake Charles to about uh, to about Baton Rouge coming into New Orleans. So uh, Cajun country is a small little little knit community that uh, is still very alive with its with its original culture. We really all hung on to our beliefs and mannerisms and our food and our, and our way of lifestyle. It's just kind of a slower way of living, and it's a lot more utilization of the land. So, you know, Cajuns <laughs> are very proud of what they do, and uh, we're proud. Of, we're just a proud culture. Yeah. Now, how did you manage to you 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 stay your own identity? You have it intact, but yet you absorb all these influences that have come into uh, New Orleans. Everything from uh, Sicilian to um, uh, uh, what am I thinking of? Um, Southeast Asian. Yeah. Yeah. Caribbean. Uh, yeah, how do you African. do that? How did you manage to do that? Uh, well, it, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have to think about it. It's just. It's that. that it's actually a very cagey thing to do. Is is to take on other people's cultures and go, hey, that's a good idea. Why don't we do that? <laughs> and so I've just been doing that my entire life. I didn't actually try. It's just kind of a natural. I like to go out and eat everywhere. So catching those influences, like, oh man, these Vietnamese guys are using these. Uh, these different kinds of jalapenos. Let me try that. Oh, look, this, uh, this Creole chef is frying his chicken this way. Let me try that. So it's that curiosity and always chasing that bite again that it just kind of fuels me to to learn these things for fun. I mean, I'm, I'm truly learning other people's cultures for, for the hell of it because I like to. Now, let, let, let's let's add something, too, that, 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 I, that I read and that, that you can get, even if you didn't write it in the book, which is that there, there has to be pig in it, even if, even if it's dessert. <laughs> no, that's not so much. That's not so much. That's, almost, that's a kind of a cliche thing um, uh, for Cajuns to uh, to deal with. We uh, we think uh, everybody thinks that we're uh, we just 
put red pepper and pork on everything. While <laughs> we do like our red pepper and our pork and our garlic, the, all that does not Cajun food make. So uh, yes, I did. I, I have note. I, I do put uh, a pork sauce on dessert every once in a while. I, I am. Yeah, no, that that one I wasn't sure about. I, I wasn't sure about having the pork sauce on dessert, but I'm not a big dessert person, anyhow. So um, there's actually some truth. There's some truth in that, but kind of you kind of got to back down the uh, the old a lot of the cliches. People think we just blacken everything and and put pork and everything and call it Cajun, I and mean, that's uh, far from the truth. Uh huh. Well, uh, there are certain things that that you do indeed like that you can say is Cajun. You like um, spice. You like. Uh, sauces, you like um, broths, real stocks, right? You like oh, right, though. That, that's very much Cajun. That's very much of the classical, classical French uh-huh. um, uh, techniques that we uh, we brought down uh, from France and, and Europe and, and the Italians and whatnot. So those classical things just kind of stuck with us because that's the way we like it. So we like using our roux and making our stocks, and then we, at the same time we utilize what's around us: figs, crawfish. Corn, rice, sugarcane, and, and those things. Yeah, but you have to learn how to make a roux. And and I, mean, I remember when I was doing some uh, recipe things uh, for publication um, that so many people. It was very hard to explain. If you've never made a roux, people don't understand what. <laughs> I mean, all the the um, the uh, other like Cajun or New Orleans cookbook. They say start start. Make a roux. That's the first line. <laughs> but if nobody knows what that is, but you go into detail. I didn't know there were that many kinds of roux. Yeah, and I, 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 what I try to do is demystify roux. People think it's this complicated, weird thing that you got to be a pro how to make. And I've actually done, obviously, a cookbook, but I've also got YouTube videos on how to make gumbo, completely demystifying the, uh, the, the dark magic of roux. When really it's just a little, it's, it's a really nice technique. It's nothing crazy and it's nothing wild. It's definitely nothing any home cook couldn't do. Uh-huh. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I use a roof for all kinds of things. Um, some of these situations that are part of the culture, uh, can you explain to our listeners, like uh, the boucherie? Yeah, so the boucherie, it, it, it kind of it, it kind of went away with the, uh, with the production of, uh, you know, modern-day butchery. But we brought it back. So originally, uh, back in the day, uh, right around uh, uh, harvest season, right around fall, everybody would bring their pigs, and you'd have this big, um, it's not only was a celebration, it was an actual uh, something everybody broke off and did a part of the pig. So some people would kill the pig, some people would skin the pig, some people would render crackling, some people would make sausage. Drain and, the um, blood, would, yeah, and make sausage, yeah. Right, and some people would make hams. So everybody had uh, everybody broke off into groups and would do their thing, and everybody would leave their parts of the pig. So it was a communal get-together, but it was out of necessity. It's a lot easier for everybody to help out instead of everybody doing every little piece of their own pig. But that's sort of so universal. Was, you know, I mean, they do it in Budapest. They do it in... Um, uh, the most interesting one was in Spain. Spain, they, they do it in, in southern Italy. In, in Spain, of course, yeah. In, in the, uh, any old cult- culture with any type of animal is going to have very similar to these going goings on. It's just in modern day America, we, you don't see you don't see them a whole lot anymore. And we just kind of brought them back as more. It's, they're, they're a little more boutique operation now. We, we do one pig, one or two pigs. We do some goats and whatnot. But uh, you know, it's it's more to remember. You know, get to remember your past and remember your culture and, and have a celebration about it. So we don't do them out of necessity now. We do them for fun now, 
And but, uh, because we like that, you know, we take out the tomahawks, we play some music, play some convoluted games, tell some lies, drink some beer. Yeah, I love I love the description I read somewhere um, of, of somebody's experience at a crawfish boil. It's, it made me want to be there. Oh yeah, they're fun times. It's actually um, people ask me what's my favorite thing to cook. I get that question all the time, and it's actually crawfish because you can you, you boil crawfish and it's a thirty pound sack, so you have to have people over. You can do it with a beer. You can do it in your shorts. There'll be music playing, kids running around. Yeah, the kids. Uh, yeah. I taught our 10-year-old at the time how to suck the heads. <laughs> I didn't think he'd do it, but he did. That, 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 that's, a, that's a part of growing up in Cajun country. <laughs> well, he's, well, well, he's not in Cajun country. <laughs> no. And anyhow, what are some of these other – you've divided your book into um, sections. There's the, Tell us what they mean. I'll tell you what you're heading it up, and you can describe it to our listeners. The community table. Yeah, the community table. So that's kind of, we're always having the big get-togethers, and whether it's Christmas or a family reunion or Thanksgiving or, or football season or whatever, we always have these large spreads of food that everybody comes over and brings a different dish. And um, Cajun food will always be very communal. So you always have these big, large tables of food and sweets and stews, and, uh, and and dishes, and it's just this big cacophony, and it's just, just fantastic, and it's kind of hard to explain to other people who don't have, you know, that kind these, of thing. These, these family cultures and whatnot, and the other chapters, the fish camp. Yeah, the know, fish camp is, uh, we, we interviewed, the who's the guy from the, the Hot and Hot Fish Club, and uh, we learned about the fish camp from uh, oh, him. No, he's, in, he's in Birmingham. Right? Birmingham. You know what I mean? I can't remember his name. Shepherd Western Tour. I can't remember. His he, name. he wasn't. He wasn't Cajun, so. Okay. So Isaac, Isaac won't know him. He's a, Isaac, he's, we got he's from fish Alabama. Camp. He's from Alabama. What about the hunt camp? What goes on there? Well, <laughs> you don't the, want to know. Yeah, the hunting camps are. Uh, they're, they're, they're kind of the place where you know you grow up during hunting season. Uh, you know, uh, it was a great adventure. We would just like, be let out in the woods with guns, and you know, we should shoot deer, shoot rabbits, shoot squirrel, ducks, <laughs> and uh, we just had you know. We all we come back and you know, it was easy to steal a beer and we'd be eating fresh fresh kill and uh, look out at the stars and probably go fishing in the morning hunting in the afternoon walking through the woods uh, in in all of Mother Nature's glory uh, it's just uh, an unparalleled experience you know and you tell stories by the fire and play poker at night and you cut up and you, you wear off your hangover while walking out in the woods cold in the morning. Uh, Unbridled experience. Sounds fabulous. Now, how, how do you manage to fit in running restaurants into this into this lifestyle? Uh, I don't get to hunt that much anymore. That's the answer. A lot of these stories, like me growing up and whatnot, but as soon as you turn restaurateur, like I, I, I get to hunt a couple times a year, I get to fish a couple times a year. So, yeah, doing all the time, that doesn't exist anymore, you know, especially with children and restaurants and television and books. So uh, you got you to fit it in like a little vacation. Well, well, listen, our listeners have their pencils out. So, so what are the names of your restaurants, and are they in New Orleans? Oh uh, yeah, they're both in New Orleans, and one is Toops Meadery, uh, as in meat eatery, and the other is Toops South. The meadery is in a mid. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah, meadery is in Mid City, and Toops South is in Central City. All you got to remember is Toops, T-O-U-P-S. I'm the only Toops cooking down here. <laughs> is that a standard uh, 
it sounds French, right? Uh, it's actually uh, Swiss. Really? Well, that's yeah, right. we were, the we French were the, part we, of we Switzerland. Yeah, uh, the French part comes from my mother's side. So, um, yeah, now your mother was from um, the. Wait, now let me get it straight. Your father was from the the um, um, the shore part, and and on the water, yeah, the, the coastal. Yeah, well, my, my father's a coastal Cajun, uh, coastal Cajun, and my mother's a prairie Cajun. Okay, I see. I didn't know there were two days. I mean, two a lot of people don't. Days. Yeah, um, you have a lot of personal recipes here that you. Apparently, you, you absorbed the traditions, but you developed your own uh, expressions, such as your mayonnaise, which sounds like mayonnaise I never heard of before. I love it. Yeah, I just you know, mayonnaise. Exactly. You, you take, uh, you know, your, the, the lessons of your past, and then, you know, you get trained classically under Emma Lagasse for 10 years, and you learn, you know, slightly more professional techniques and ingredients. And it's still, honestly, a very cagey thing to do to take your mother or your father's recipes or whoever's and then change them into your own. So that's kind of a natural progression as a professional chef and as a uh, true-blood Cajun. You just always got to screw with the recipe. Yeah, but you, you have one where you had espresso. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, espresso mayonnaise, delicious. Yeah. Um, you have all these little boxes of of... Well, you have, like, Cajun games, which are interesting. Um, you have a section, I mean, you have a little box on on your wooden spoons. Uh, I mean, you get a real sense of, of your culture this way. Uh, that's what we wanted the book to be. We never, never wanted it to just be a list of recipes. That, that sounded boring. There's plenty of books out there like that. I wanted to tell a story. I wanted to, uh, you know, people ask me, like, man, how'd you get here? You know, from Cajun country to... So New Orleans, and you got these restaurants, how that come about, and the book kind of does a good job of kind of spelling that out. Tell me what the secret is to a perfect gumbo. Um, there's no one secret. There's about 10,000, but uh, good stock would be a good place to start, proper color of your roux, and a good quality ingredients, and a lot of goddamn garlic. Oh, yeah. See, I love your garlic thing. You even suggest that you should explore the uh, previously uh, peeled garlic, especially because some of your things call for 100 cloves of, of garlic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I, I, buy, I buy garlic literally in, 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 by, by in four-gallon increments at my restaurants, and we'll go through probably four gallons a week. Wow. Um I, I also I think this burger is the best looking burger I've ever seen. What's the secret it's of that? One, it's one of the best out there. I'll, I'll, I'll toot my own horn on that. That's one of the few dishes I actually got right the first time. That almost never happens. Oh well, it looks absolutely gorgeous. Oh, don't, don't forget the pork chop. Where's the pork chop? Pork, pork, pork chop is, is, is as thick as, thick as, loves as, pork, thick as an way. oak tree. Yeah. What about your pork chop? Oh, yeah, they're almost as big as my head, and I got a big goddamn head. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, uh, the portrait, that, that's one of the, that's the, one of the signature dishes at the meadery. It's probably, it's the number one seller. Uh, it's brined in brown sugar for 48 hours, and, uh, they're, gr they're grilled to medium, not mid-well, well done. And that's one of the big secrets. You brine them well, you get good quality pigs from South Louisiana, and don't overcook it for the love of God. Seasoned hard with salt, and, uh, salt and black pepper. And then we grill that and roast that in butter. And that goes uh, underneath, I'm sorry, that goes over a bed of uh, my signature dirty rice with some uh, 
Now, now here, Clean syrup gas streak on top. It's freaking dynamite. Here, here's a memory for you. We were sitting in Emeril Lagasse's kitchen the first time he ever had a chef's table in the kitchen. Well, that was after Commander's Palace. That's when he had yeah, well, yeah, well, so, so anyway, dinner, dinner's going fine. They were all playing games, hiding the guy's chicken, <laughs> from which he was supposed to make chicken stock. And then, it, and then it was time for the main course. And for some, for some reason, Emerald turned over our pork chop to a rookie. And we got overcooked pork. And I thought, no, 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 that can't be true. But, but it was. It wasn't you. It was a female. <laughs> that would not have been me. <laughs> I'm sure it wouldn't have been. The, that, no. the photographs here are just so enticing. Uh, I... I want, right this minute, Isaac, absolutely right this minute, your lacquered collards. Yeah. Those are, uh, those are my favorite because a lot, what a lot of people do, uh, wrong or wrong in my opinion, I should say, hold on, um, is that they don't bring all their liquid all the way down and really concentrate it. So you've got these collard greens just sitting in this soupy water and they're not very concentrated flavor where I bring all that liquid and all the sugar and all the fat and, uh, and the heat down to, so all that liquid is just stuck to them, and they get sticky, and they're uh, they're delicious. They're spicy. They're sweet. They're very savory. Use a lot of good uh, smoked pork products in there, so they're really just a good savory collard green. Well, wow. now, now there's a there's a piece of equipment that people are going to rush out and start buying on Amazon. So you so you better invent one and stock them up with it. It's called a Cajun microwave. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, that's actually borrowed culture. It kind of goes back to the Cajuns. You know, um, it's a, I think that it's, I think it's, it's a Chinese uh, um, in, invention called like a, a kaya box or a, a china box. It's called, and um, it's a way of being able to cook large pieces of meat outside without having a normally normally you would dig a big hole and have a big spit and turn it. And that's a an all day affair. It's a pain in the ass. This is something that's on wheels. It's a box. They're made out of wood and they're lined with metal sometimes. Um, Mine's just lined with aluminum foil, and you can you put coals on top, and it's basically a outdoor, easily maneuvering uh, uh, Cajun microwave, a big uh, convection oven. You can just wheel around. It's great. Put it in the back of the truck, roast a pig, roll it right back up in the truck. And, uh, and you have a recipe here for crab fat rice. If you're ever in Chicago, go to Fat Rice. It's really a good restaurant. You know I'm that? I'm there uh, next month for the awards. Oh, will you be there? Oh, okay. I'm shortlist for the Beard Awards. Yeah, congratulations. I guess I guess that just came for another year, right? I'm sorry. It's another another year. Yeah, another year. Six six years running now. Really? <laughs> well, well, we have our finger. We have our fingers crossed for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll take all the luck I can get. It's just it's an honor just to be nominated. But who doesn't want to win, right? Absolutely. Well, this is true. I mean, everybody always says it's wonderful being nominated, but I think it's winning this man. <laughs> yeah, our old friend Floyd Cardoz yeah, yeah. From, from New York City, he's, he, he was up for the sixth time as a finalist, and uh, I asked him what he was going to do if he didn't win this time. He said, I'm going to take them all down. <laughs> <laughs> well, look for us there in the um, press room. Will do. Oh, good. And say hello. And bring some of those collars with you. I'll have some in my pocket. And truly, and truly the very best, very best of good luck. We hope you bring home a winner. 
Okay. Again, Isaac Toops and the new Cajun cooking. The book is called Chasing the Gator. And you can find out just about anything you want to know about Cajun culture and country and food in this book. Thank you. Ciao, Isaac. Thank you so much. Have a good one, guys. And follow me on Instagram at Toops Meadery and Toops South. Love you guys. Exactly. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Okay, we promised you the ultimate grilling book. Who's the Who's the author? Um. Jamie Provence. <laughs> I just dropped all my papers on the floor here. But, but, but Jamie's still here. Yeah. And Peter's still here. So uh, yeah, so I okay. mean, this, is, this guy has a great gig. He yeah. has for a long time been the uh, ultimate chef and spokesperson yeah. for Weber Grill. Well, well let's, let's, let's go for the interview, huh? Yeah, his book is the, the go-to reference for grilling, and it's called Weber's Ultimate Grilling, of course. Jamie Provias, as I told you, I've been practicing your name in case anybody sees it in print. It rhymes with alliance, Provence. And he is providing us with, and it's in the title, the ultimate grilling book. It's Weber's. You work for Weber, and Weber's our favorite grill company anyhow. Um and the ultimate grilling is a step-by-step guide to barbecue genius, and that's the that's the key here. It's an encyclopedia of of all kinds of, of grilling, and types of of fuel, types of cuts of meat. You have charts, you have step-by-step photos. Uh, I guess it's it's a reference book, it's a, a handbook, and what else? I hope it's a treasure trove. I hope it's something that people will keep and, and use for a long, long time. It's meant to be that kind of a book, um, particularly for folks who are trying to get better. Uh, I've found through the years that uh, the way to do that is, is often with as much visual instruction as possible. You know, nice. Ideally, you'd be in a class with somebody who's really good looking over your shoulder and telling you, you know, when to add more coals or when to base something or when to turn it over. Uh, but this comes pretty close. There are so many photos. Um, yeah, you have 750 photos, 200 techniques and tips, and 125 recipes. That's an encyclopedia reference book, I think. It's, it's astounding. I mean, to give listeners a perspective, I think most cookbooks come in around 75 to 100 photos. So to have... 750, it's uh, it's really more of a picture book. Um, and what I love about the recipes, um, besides the, the flavors, of course, yeah. but in terms of using them, you almost don't even need to read the recipe. You can just look at the photos. It's like looking at a film strip, and uh, we've just taken out the most important points. So you see where you're going from start all the way through finish. And I think that's very reassuring for beginners and intermediates and even some advanced people now you didn't just come at this like by accident uh, explain to our listeners 
um, what your background is, how you became an expert griller. Well, that's potentially a long story, but I'll, t- I'll try to make it short. Um, I guess it started actually in Indonesia, which is a, a great grilling mecca of the world. That whole Southeast Asia is, of course, famous for you know satays and cooking all kinds of things outdoors. A lot of people just have an outdoor kitchen. That's just the way that they live and yes, cook. We always, would like, we always wanted to have an outdoor kitchen, but it wouldn't really go in Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> it would get a little uncomfortable. In, in Jakarta, where I was, you could do that. And um, Anyway, I got very fascinated with, uh, with the grilled food over there. It was very different from what I had grown up with uh, outside of Philadelphia and in New Jersey, kind of, you know, good but very um, unsurprising American food. And so I just wanted to learn how to do it um, myself. I was frustrated. I, I could go to the restaurants and the street vendors and taste this amazing food and uh, go home and kind of make a mess of it. So I said, that's it. I'm going to go to professional cooking school and learn how to do this and all kinds of other things really well. So I enrolled at the Culinary Institute of America, spent two years there with a lot of aspiring you know, chefs. Most of them wanted to go into restaurants. I really didn't. I really thought I would go back to my original career, which was as a school teacher. I had been in Jakarta uh, as, a, uh, as an English teacher. So um, when see, I graduated... The missing link is that you are, by training, not only an expert griller, but you are also a teacher, which is the behind the success of this book. Right, right. Well, I'm glad you picked up on that. Yeah, I think it's a it's a nice merging of of those backgrounds. You know, I went to Stanford and studied English and taught in San Francisco for five or six years. So, I had the ability to sort of draw those things together and uh, create books um, and other things. So, this is actually my seventeenth book oh on grilling goodness. and barbecue. Oh if you can believe it, wow. I. Sometimes I can't believe it, but it's true. That's even um, more than what's his name that we always Steve, get a book Steve, from. Steve Reichlin. Steve Reichlin. We always have a book. We get, we, or two we get, we get a, a lot of we, we get a lot of these. We get a lot of there's a and there's a guy called is it Meathead? Oh, oh Meathead. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> Meathead <laughs> Goldwyn. Yes, yeah, right. He, he's pretty. He's, he's funny. He was pretty good. He's a funny guy too. He's hilarious. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine. As is Stephen. We're all good friends in this grilling and barbecue world, for the most part, and um, I've learned a lot from both of those guys. So, um, yeah, 17 books is a lot, and this one... Um, were they all with them, with Weber, or is that a recent development? My relationship with Weber? Did, they all, did Weber sponsor all your books? Oh, yes, they, uh, they certainly did. Um, they hired me for the first book back in 1999, and uh, at that point, uh, it was a bit of an experiment to see whether somebody would actually buy a book from a big corporation like that. Uh, sometimes they prefer to buy from a personality or a chef, uh, but the first book did really, really well, and um, that led to the second and the third and the fourth, and they've gone on to become New York Times bestsellers and, you know, been nominated well, for the James Beard Awards. And this, too, is the uh, uh, Mr. Wang from the Instant Pot. He does have all these authorized Instant Pot cookbooks, you know. Right, 
Right. Yeah, and, and they sound like hotcakes, so. Yeah. Here's a question maybe nobody ever asked before, but I'm, I'm going to allow you to put in a commercial for your employer. But what, <coughs> what, what is it that makes Weber so dominant in the, in the, uh, what do you, what really? do you call it, in, 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 in the grill department? Well, I think there are a few things. Um, first of all, it's just the performance of the grills, you know, starting with the kettle. I know that you guys have a, a kettle now, kind of an old kettle, yes. <laughs> um, which continues to perform year after year. I don't know how yours, old yours is, but a lot of people have these for 10, 15. Well, we, we had one experience, uh, which was we had a, an entire office party at our house, and we were doing a shish kebab on the grill. And the bottom fell out. Oh, that, 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 that was it. Was not a Weber. It was not a Weber. Not a, okay. It, 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 was, it was a it was a little hibachi. I I hadn't I, I hadn't become nearly as involved with grilling then. It was what it was what we had, and as Anne said, the, the, the bottom, bottom, fell, the bottom out. of the grill right. fell out. And well, it, well, I think you know. Those kind of experiences lead people to think about, you know, there's got to be a better way. Um, sure. And if, as soon as you ask around, what's a good grill that's going to last me more than a couple of seasons, the answer is usually a Weber because right. of the, the way that they're made. It's, it's phenomenal how, um, how bulletproof and weatherproof these things are. They last forever and ever, and they continue to perform. And then I think the other big issue is the customer service. If you ever do have an issue where... You need to replace a part. Um, you know, maybe you drop the lid on the ground and it's got a big ding in it, or uh, you've got a gas grill and for some reason it, you know, the igniter's gone out after a few years. You call them up and they take care of it right away. Um, We've never usually. had a problem, but we use a charcoal. Yeah, mine, mine is what is one that has a col- it has like a collar underneath the bowl. Sure. Yeah, that's the classic kettle. It was developed in 1952. Oh, no, really? Yeah. The original design was actually from a a buoy. Um, The the founder of the company was working for a a buoy manufacturer. Something like the ocean buoy. uh, Yeah, like an ocean buoy. This was for the Coast Guard in Lake Michigan, right outside of Chicago. And he, at the time, there wasn't really anything on the market that had a lid, but it, it, trying to grow in Chicago without a lid and you end up with a lot of trouble. Uh, you can relate to that as yeah. Pittsburgh people, the wind and the rain and the snow and all that. So he, he cut the buoy in half and used the top as the lid, and that was that was it. Um, and uh, I think he got lucky in many respects because the way the, you know, the thermodynamics work on that thing, it's just amazing. Yeah, you, uh, you have can do you, nice diagrams, by the way, of how that all works. Yeah, right, but yeah. I, um, I, I came uh, I came through all the accessories like chimney starters and uh, charcoal rails and, and all of those kinds of things because, as, as Anne was mentioning to you before before we came on the air, my uh, my boldest venture. Probably ever <laughs> was a was a goose on Christmas Day. <laughs> I had visions on, on Christmas Day. Incinerating the entire neighborhood. Yeah, the pressure <laughs> is on, right? <laughs> well, I got a Chinese steamer, double steamer, uh, and uh, we 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 got rid of a lot of the fat <laughs> before it went on the outside of the grill. Very wise. You're very smart, yeah. Yeah. Now, you, you, let's start with some. You have the four T's here. And those steaks are so pretty. That's under time. It's temperature, time, technique, and tools. 
And that just about covers it, doesn't it? <laughs> well, that's my idea. Uh, I wanted to have a simple checklist for people because sometimes they get out there at the grill and uh, it's very easy to get distracted. You know, the friends are milling around and cocktails are flowing and there's music. People are having, you know, conversations, pulling you into political debates or, you know, asking you to play croquet or a game of pool. I don't know. There's all sorts of stuff that happens and sometimes the grilling gets neglected and um, and people end up just kind of winging it, right? Oh, well, just we'll just cook it till it looks sort of done and then put it on the plate and hope it works out. So I'm aiming for something uh, results much higher than that. And so I say to people, if you can just get those four T's correct, if you can be paying attention to those, you can have the, the temperature of the grill where it should be for whatever's on the grill, and you know the timing, how long that item needs to be on the grill, and you've got the right tools um, and the right techniques, you're golden. The good quality meat doesn't hurt. I don't know about these steaks. They're the most gorgeous hunks of meat I've ever seen. <laughs> the ones of your time illustration. Well, absolutely. <laughs> the ingredients really help a lot. Um, but I would say actually techniques are probably even more important than ingredients um, in many cases because you can create new flavors. You know, you put something on a, on a grill, whether it's a cheap piece of meat or a, a really nice, beautifully marbled piece of steak, you're going to create hundreds of new flavor compounds. And, of course, you've got that smoke coming through. And so, you know, if it's, if it's not a great piece of meat, you've taken something from lousy to good. And if you've got a great piece of meat, you've taken it from great to just spectacular. Well, now, you, you go through these four T's. And you illustrate them, um, you amplify them, and then you, you start getting particular um, in, in, like, technique and all those T's for gas grills, so you explain all of that. Uh, charcoal grills, you explain that. Um, and that's a lot of information to absorb right there. Then you carry well, it on, and you have... You have every piece of reference in a diagram that you'd ever want to have with the direct heat, indirect heat, uh, the timing for everything. This is a masterpiece. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you appreciate that. It was uh, it was a labor of love. Um, you know, it's really based upon all those other books. You know, all the all the recipes are entirely new. Everything is is new. But I learned so much through the years about how to write books, um, and I've taught so many classes face-to-face with people and connected with so many people on social media that I, I've come to understand what it is that people need to get better. So this was the book where I decided to pour everything into that, and uh, that's why that front matter that you're looking at is, is so extensive because mm-hmm. those are the questions that I hear time and time again. How do I set it up? You know, how do I, when do I add more fuel? You know, what should the smoke look like? You know, what if I get flare-ups? Um, those are the real issues, so um, I covered them here. Well, you went beyond what the, you learned at the CIA because I was, I've talked to CIA grads, and all they talk about is um, testing doneness by where you touch it on your hand, what part of your hand <laughs> You know I mean? well, that's, that's funny that you mentioned that. Um, <laughs> I remember, yes, I remember some of the chefs 
getting really mad at me when I would try to check even like a whole chicken with oh, a yeah, thermometer. No. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, I, I had one chef actually pick the chicken up and throw it into my chest and say, oh, nice. you know, stop being a homemaker or something like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, that was sort of the environment there. And interestingly enough, they, they didn't teach grilling. It wasn't considered part of the, you know, the, the European repertoire. Oh, right. Um, it was sort of a crude way of cooking. Uh, but I think part of why I've been successful is that I've taken a lot of what I did learn at the CIA in terms of roasting and sautéing and all those other European methods and applied them to grilling because uh, there's a lot of overlap um, in terms of how food changes as it cooks in moist and, and dry environments and all that. Anyway, that that's all in the book, and uh, and most importantly of all, it's all very, very visual. Yeah, which your I techniques think re- page is you have a do this and a don't do this, which is, and it's so perky. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I like to get your time. attention and get you to focus on things. You know, they're, they're, they're just some simple stuff that people, a lot of people that I meet don't think of. You know, for instance, on a, on a charcoal grill, the, you know, you can cook with indirect heat. Not everything has to be right over oh, the sure, fire. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Peter, um, <laughs> I think he's a master of moving things around on the grill. Well, we have a term here, something in slide. It, oh, uh, is, is the sear and slide? Is that what you mean? Slide. He does, he's, he's a master at that. Uh, okay. The sear and slide is, is a great technique for all sorts of things. I use it primarily for thick steaks. Yes, because if you cook them entirely over searing hot heat, you, you burn the outside. And that's such a shame, particularly with a beautiful cut of meat. So the idea is to sear it first over direct and then slide it to a, a cooler side of the grill where there aren't coals or gas burners underneath. Close the lid, and then you're sort of gently roasting to the finish line. And uh, everything works out much better that way. I, d- I do the equivalent when I'm cooking steaks indoors, in a, in mm. starting in a cast iron pan and... Searing the outside on both sides, and then and then putting it in the oven to really cook. Right. And yeah, that's what's done in a in a lot of restaurants. A lot of so-called grills, they'll actually end up finishing it off in the in the oven like that. And these days, there's a new technique that you might want to try called the reverse sear. Have you heard of this one? Oh yeah, it's yeah. in your book. Yeah, but, but, but I let, don't know it. No, let's yeah. let's let's have this explained by Steve by JB. For, for, sure. For, for, well, for those um, who don't know. Right. So I just explained the kind of traditional method, which is to sear over hot heat and finish over lower heat. Yeah. Now, with the reverse sear, we're going to flip those. We're going to start by slow roasting the meat at a very low temperature. I'm talking down around 300 degrees um, and, and definitely indirect. So the, the coals are off to the side or the burners are lit somewhere else on the grill. And the idea is there is you're just gently cooking the entire piece of meat from the center to the out uh, to the outside to a temperature that's, you know, uh, well under rare. Um, I, I shoot for about 100 degrees if you've got an instant read thermometer. So it takes about 20 minutes. And then you take it off and you build up the heat tremendously in your grill. You add charcoal, you light all the burners, and you sear for just a minute or two uh, over that very hot direct heat to get that char and that caramelization, all that beautiful flavor development and crust that we really love. Um, but the beauty of this technique is that you don't overdo that searing process um, right, because right, right. The, the danger of 
overdoing it is that you overcook too much of the meat right. just below the surface. You get kind of gray, overcooked meat there. With the reverse sear, you end up with a very wide swath of sort of evenly cooked, you know, rosy red meat. It's lovely. Now, now I have talk, one one uh, complaint. Oh, oh, do you want to say something? I was up. I was hoping to get a word in edgeways, but oh. you go. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I, I won't think of it. I, this is you're not the first book that we've gotten like this. Um, I don't know what they're doing when they're publishing these books, but it's impossible to open the page fully. In this book, I'm trying, and get it to lie flat so you can actually read the whole thing edge to edge. Okay. What are they doing? Well, a couple things. You've got a brand new book, um, and so it's it's a little bit like a pair of shoes where it's sort of stiff in the beginning, and with time, I think you'll find that it does uh, loosen up a little bit. I've had that experience with previous books. Yeah, we had one that came in that had a, a different construction. It was not attached to the full spine. So well, it wasn't atta- in fact, the spine wasn't attached at all. It wasn't it was, attached. Was, ah. it was, and, and that was... That and that really, worked. I, I, thought it was really, I thought it was really very clever. Okay. Well, what you doing? Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. There is definitely an art to making books. Yeah, um, yes, so yes. I'm trying to read this Grilling Techniques, your top tips for ultimate grilling success, and I can't get the one or the numbers on the left side of the page. Well, you just, yeah, you just have got to, to put a little weight on that. I, I understand what you mean. Perhaps we could have made the, we call it the gutter, that section right down at the bottom between the pages. Right. A little bigger would have been helpful for you. Yeah. I'll pass that along to the publisher. I <laughs> will <laughs> be real thrilled. Yeah. Here's, here's what I want to ask you as we, as we, as we conclude. You, you can have three or you can have four or you can have five. What, what are the things that you've discovered that people just don't know about grilling, and as a, as a result, they fail? Mm, that's a great question. Well, let's see. I think I'll start with the lid. Um, you know, I was telling you about the, the start of the, the Weber company um, around that kettle, uh, which was cut in half from a buoy. That lid is so important for the way the grill works. It, it is... Um, a way of controlling the air, which uh, allows you to control the temperature much better and prevent flare-ups and um, develop the right kind of smoke. Anyway, so cooking with the lid down is, is really um, valuable. I don't think most people do that. I see a lot of people cooking up. Right. Um, I would say uh, also just this understanding of setting up the fire each time so that you have the flexibility of both direct and indirect heat. Because even if you're cooking something simple like hot dogs or, or hamburgers or sausages, they, they might flare up. They might start cooking a little faster than you want. And you need to have a zone where you can move things to, to yeah, let them yeah. cook slowly. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing is probably, you know, get yourself a good digital thermometer. Um, because if, if you want the, mo- the meat or anything else to come out juicy and perfect, you need to know what the temperature is inside instantly. So uh, that's always a good investment. So what you're talking about there, one where you will, where you touch the surface, you don't penetrate the surface. You just touch. No, the I'm talking surface. about one where you you penetrate the surface. Oh, you with do. A probe. Okay. So yep. you, so you um, so you stick. Generally, your... you take the meat off of the, the grill for just a moment, and you 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 put the probe into the dead center, and you see what you're working with. Nowadays, there are actually some thermometers that you can put in 
at the raw stage, leave them in there throughout the cooking, and they will tell you on your phone what the internal temperature is at every stage along the way. Oh, wow. So Weber <laughs> makes one called the iGrill, which is uh, very sophisticated, um, but can save you. You know, if you're making Christmas goose or uh, a whole turkey or a steak or even just, you know, chicken breast, it, it really gives you crucial information. Yeah, the, the only failure I ever had was a standing prime rib. Oh, he has a, he has a, I couldn't, a, I, a roast. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, the fire didn't stay in long enough. You, oh, it died out on you. you it, have it, died, it died out on me, and, and when it dies out on you and you're three hours into a four-hour roasting, and now, uh, it's really, you, you really can't supplement because you finish up with charcoal briquette-tasting food. Mm. Here's a rotisserie <laughs> rib roast with melted onions he's got no, in well, there. I'll, I, maybe I'll give it a try. Maybe I'll... Maybe well, he I'll, rolls this. Deal with it. He but stuffs and rolls. I was it. so dis- I was so disappointed. I never did, I never tried it again. Yeah, well, it was expensive. <laughs> yeah, it was expensive. Too. Well, you know, you, you've got sauces, uh, marinades, uh, rubs, vegetables and sides, um, apps, um, uh, up your umami or whatever it is. Is there anything that you left out of this book, Jamie? <laughs> No, absolutely not. I, I can tell you that uh, I ran out of pages. I had a lot to say, but what's what's left here is just thorough um, and the best of the best. I, I really can say that in total sincerity. Uh, so I'll vouch for as that. the weather swarms up, I hope people go out and get it and, and try it because <clears throat> there's this is sort of this is the path to barbecue genius, as the subtitle says, a step by step guide. It's uh, it's right there. Waiting for you. All you have to do is pick it up and use it. Well, well congratulations yeah. on the job. You, well done. Thank Jamie. you so much for joining. Thank you, man. And, uh, thank you, Peter. Okay. We, we'll all have a happy grilling season. It's again, it's Jamie so. Provines, Weber's Ultimate Grilling, and get it. If you're you're going to enjoy it for the summer. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you very much. So don't hesitate to get this book, because the guy obviously knows what he's talking about, and we know what we're talking about, and we'll be talking about the same kind of thing this time next week. So until then, we hope you'll join us, and until that happens, bye-bye.